0: Amen. You may be seated. I want to in, uh, dismiss our kids down to Kids Church um, for the, the gospel project, always an encouraging time. Um, yeah. But my name is uh, Brandon Swain. If you do not know me, I'm a deacon here at the church. I'm privileged to serve each and every one of you every single week. Um, and I just want to say thanks so much for being here with us this morning. Thanks for worshiping with us. Um, but yeah, this morning I have a riddle for you. I have a riddle for you. It goes like this, this thing all things devours, birds, beasts, trees, flowers, gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal, slays king, ruins town, and beats mountain down. What on earth could this be? What on earth could this be? says it devours, maybe it's a, a carnivorous man who's just really, really hungry going around eating everything in his path. I know I was there this morning. I was really, really hungry for breakfast. When I woke up, I felt like I could eat anything if you put it in front of me. So, except horse meat, which I don't know. Everyone always asks, like, would you eat horse meat? No. Okay, whatever. Um, but it also says that it's a that it slays kings and ruins town. Maybe it's a carnivorous, powerful warrior. Maybe it's a Viking, right? Maybe it's a it's a Viking who's sailing and pillaging along in Europe, and he's just uh, conquering everything in its path. He's eating everything that he can get his hands on. But then it also says that it beats mountain down. Maybe it's a giant carnivorous Viking warrior that's just going around pummeling mountains into the ground, laying the landscape to waste, and ruining everything in his path. Does anybody have any guesses as to what the answer to this riddle might be? Who said that? Brad, did you, have you read and watched The Hobbit? Okay, yeah. This is from The Hobbit. It, the answer is time. The answer is time. This is the, the riddle that Bilbo uses to stump Smeagol, if, if anyone's a fellow nerd in here. Um, great movies, you should watch them. But yeah, the answer is time. The answer is time. And we all have a problem with time. We all have an issue with time. We never have enough time, we're always trying to save time, we're always trying to cut time, we're always trying to gather more time. But the issue is, the issue always is, is that time is passing us by. Time is always passing us by. And not only is it passing us by, but eventually, friends, time will turn everything around you to dust. Time will turn everything around you to dust. The very building that we're sitting in, the chairs that you're sitting on, time will come for those things too. And it will turn this building into dust. Time reveals, the endless march of time reveals the vanities of life. The endless march of time reveals the nothingness that consists of this life. It reveals, it pulls back the curtain of the the temporariness of this life. And in our text today, the preacher shows us who we are in relation to time. He shows us who God is in relation to time. And he shows us how you might be sustained through the endless march of time. I'm going to invite Stephen Horn up. Oh, I thought he was... Where did he go? There he is. Okay. I I didn't see you walk back there. I'm going to invite Stephen Horn up. He's going to read our passage for us this morning. Um, And please turn your attention to the screens or to your Bibles as Stephen comes and reads for us.
1: Good morning. Our passage this morning comes from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verses 1 through 22. This is the word of the Lord. For everything there is a season This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which will be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so does the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better then that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? This is the word of the Lord.
0: Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, please use your spirit to illuminate these words in our heart. Lord, change us, shape us, and mold us into the image of your Son through your word. Lord, sanctify us through your word. God, if we do not believe in you, use your word to bring us from death to life. Lord, help us to understand these things that you've given us. Help us to be a nourishment for our lives and be a sustaining force throughout all of our weeks. I pray all these things in your son's precious, holy, and wonderful name. Amen. Friends, chapter three marks a shift in the book of Ecclesiastes. We can look at these first eight verses and think to ourselves, ah, finally, some levity in this otherwise hard and heavy book. You know, these these things that the preacher lays out for us, these seasons that the preacher gives us, there's some nice things, right? You know, there's a time to love, there's a time to hate, there's a time to embrace, there's a time to not embrace, there's a time for war, there's a time for peace, there's a time to plant, and there's a time to be plucked up. These are some nice things, right? They kind of sound like a Christian Hallmark card. Uh, You know, it might be something that Target might slap on a card to call it religious, or you might see it as you're going down I-90 on a bumper sticker and seeing like this, one of these phrases on there. These phrases are beautiful, but the, what, the reality is, is that the preacher is trying to convey a more disturbing reality underneath all of this. And that reality is, is that he's trying to convey that we are all bound to the endless march of time. You have no control over it. You cannot escape it. You are bound to the endless march of time, to the unstoppable march of time. Just look at the seasons that the the preacher uh, lays before us. He describes those seasons that the preacher described. They don't happen, or we don't choose them. We don't decide when they happen. They happen to us. We do not choose the time that the seasons or the order that the seasons take place in our life. We are subject to them. We do not choose when the time to sow and the time to reap is. We do not choose when we are to mourn and when we are to dance. We do not choose when there's suffering and when there's joy. We do not choose when we begin to live. And we do not choose when and where and how we die. We are subject to time and time and its seasons. We are enslaved to it. We have no choice, no control. We are bound to the unstoppable march of time. However, though, even though we do not choose these seasons, even though we do not have control of when these seasons happen to us, the preacher wants us to be wise in knowing what time it is Even though we do not have control over the march of time, we need to know what time we are living in. We need to know what time, what season of life we are in. Friends, we need to know when it's time to be silent and when it's time to speak up. You need to know when it's time to embrace and time not to embrace. You need to know when it's time for war And time for peace. Just look at the farmer. The farmer knows. He doesn't choose. He knows when the season to sow is. And he knows when the season to reap is. That's not his choice, but he definitely knows what time it is. And he organizes his life around that time. He lives his life according to the time and season that he's in. And friends, we need to do the same. We need to know what time we're in. And we need to live according to what time God has placed us in. So even though we are bound to the march of time, we need to know what time it is that we're living in. And friends, during this time that we have on earth, the preacher tells us we have been given One charge, one task, and that is for us to work. We are to work with the time that we have been given on this earth. We are to work in the midst of the march of time. Sorry, this mic keeps going up on my face. The preacher's not specific on what what that task is or what the work is that we are to do, but he says that we are to work. We are to toil. We are to strive. We are to um, we are to live by the sweat of our brow. We are to provide for our families. We are to be a contributing member of society. We are to work. But the reality is, just like the preacher said before in the other passages, the work that we do has no eternal significance. It has no eternal significance. Because, friends, the march of time will eventually come for your work as well. And even though you toil all day long, and maybe you work to be the best engineer or the best teacher or to have the best business in central New York or the world, the truth is time will come for your work. Time will turn your work into dust. Time will turn your work into obscurity and nothingness. Friends, the the things that we work so hard and strive for will eventually turn into nothing. And if you are the kind of person that wraps their whole identity into their work, if you're the kind of person that has all of their hope in their job, you're gonna be disappointed. You're gonna be let down your work will fail you in the end because your work will turn into dust in the end your work will turn into nothing in the end your work does not last on into eternity and we can look at we can look at this reality and think to ourselves well If we're bound to the endless march of time, if we have no choice, if eventually our work is going to turn into nothing, then we should just do nothing. We should just be lazy. We should just not work. We should just sit on our couch and wave as time passes us by. But that is not the point that the preacher is getting at. The point is that we are to work. And we are to have joy in our work even though it's going to turn to dust. Why? Because the preacher says the one that has given us work to do is the Lord. God is the one that has blessed us with work. God is the one that has provided your job. God is the one that has provided you a means by which you can provide for yourself and provide for your family. Friends, work is a good gift from God. Even though it has no eternal significance, even though it might fade away into dust, we should, str- we should be happy that we have work to do in this life. We should be joyful that we have work to do. And that should change our mindset about how we view our jobs. No matter how annoying they might be or frustrating they might be or how much they you know, get us down or something like that, it should turn us from a, 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 a resistful obedience to a joyful obligation. Friends, we should walk into our jobs with joy and with happiness and with gladness. No matter what that job may be, no matter if you're flipping burgers at McDonald's or running a company or just a a good employee, you should walk into your job with joy and with gladness because God is the one that has provided that job for you so that you might work and provide for your family, for yourself. And be a contributing member of society and be able to live generously in this life that God has given you. But wait, there's more. There's more. Because what is waiting for us at the end of all this, of all this work, all this toil? What is waiting for us at the end of the march of time? Well, to put it bluntly, we die. We die. That is what is waiting for us at the end of the march of time. Death. Death. There's no changing that reality. There's no escaping that reality. That is the fate that we all face. That is the destiny, the destination. We are all heading death. That puts us all on the same playing field, does it not? Every one of us in this room is heading towards the same faith, the same reality, death. doesn't matter if you're flipping burgers at McDonald's or a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Time will lead you to death. In fact, the preacher even says that we're on the same playing field as the animals because of this. We all face the, same, we face the same fate as the animals. The animals will eventually turn to dust, and so will we. We will turn to dust. That is our fate. And this is the march of time that we're all bound to. This is the cycle of time that we all face. This is we live, we work, we die. That's it. Now, there's some nuances in all that for all of us because not all of us have the same life. Not all of us have the same job. Not all of us live in the same way. Not all of us will die in the same way. But in summation, our life can be summed up in this. We live, we work, we die. That is what the preacher was saying at the end of 2, chapter 2, and he's continuing on his point in chapter 3. We live, we work, we die. That is our cycle. That is our fate. That is the march of time that we all face. But who has made this order? Who has ordained this march of time? Who has set this into motion? Well, simply put, God is the one who has ordained this order of time. Because he is the one who created time. God is the one who created time. Just think about that for a second, because it just, the whole time I was preparing for this message, I was just blown away by that fact. God created time. This huge force that we all have a problem with, God created it. God is the one who crafted seconds. He's the one that invented hours. He is the one that built days. He is the one that created time. Before God, friends, there was no concept. There was no time. There was nothing. No time. God wasn't sitting in heaven looking at a clock on his wall saying, well, it's about time to create those humans. Like God was not doing that. There was no time. He was just, it was just God in his eternal moment outside of time. Before God, there was no concept of time. There was nothing. There was, no, there was no laws of time or anything like that. God is the one that set time into motion. God is the one that spoke time out of nothing. That does not cause you to say, wow. How amazing and powerful our God is. Like, I don't know what will. It's not even the fact that He created it, right? Because we know that God is all powerful and He can do whatever He wants, but it's the implications of Him creating time that just continually blow my mind. Because it because God being the creator of time means that God is the master of time. He is time is subject to To him. Time obeys God. Time follows God's will. Time is subject to God's demands. Friends, time is a slave to God. Time is a slave to God. And that should, as we are all bound to the march of time, that should bring us so much hope because our God is the one that's in control. Our God is the one that's in control of time. And he is the one that has given everything its time and its season. He is the one that has dictated the seasons of time. He is the one that is in control of the seasons of time. And that means that everything happens on God's timing. On God's timing. That means war and peace happen on God's time. That means weeping and dancing happen on God's time. That means joy and sorrow happen on God's time. And friends, that means life and death happen on God's time. But friends, we struggle with this, do we not? We struggle being the ones that are out of control. We don't want God to have, we don't want things to happen on God's timing. We want them to happen on our timing. We want to be the ones that choose when it's time to weep and the time to dance. We want to choose to be the ones that, we want to choose when it's time to plant and the time to pluck up. We want to choose when there's suffering and when there's joy We wanna be the masters of time. We want time to be subject to us. But that's not our lot. That is not our place. You are not subject, you are not masters of time, but your God is. Your God is the master of time. He's the one that dictates its seasons. He's the one that is in control of everything. And a further struggle that we all face is that God might have you in a time where all you do is sow. God might have you in a time where all you do is toil and toil and toil. You live by the sweat of your brow, but yet you never taste the beauty of the time of harvest. And friends, if that is where you're at, if you're in a time, a season where It just feels like all I do is suffer and work. You have to be okay with that. Because the preacher says in verse 11, God will make it beautiful in its time. God will make all things beautiful in its time. Meaning no. no matter how messed up your situation might be, no matter how dark your life may be, no matter how broken and hopeless and helpless you may feel, no matter what crappy season of time you might be living in, God will make it beautiful in its time. God will make it beautiful in its time. And yet we still wrestle with that because we don't want to be patient. We want to, we want to say, God, make it beautiful now. Change it now. We want it now. But the truth might be, we might not see the beauty of the season that we're living in until we have faced eternity with God. God might not work out the beautifulness of that season of life until eternity. You might die in that season of time. And that is okay. It's okay. I know it's hard to swallow. I know it's hard to live with. But the hope is God will make it beautiful in its time. God will make it beautiful in its time. And the beautiful, even the more beautiful reality is, is that, the, that the work that God does to make things beautiful, the work that God does in general, is perfect. It's eternal. It's the complete opposite of our work. It, it is not bound by time, it, is not, it does not face the march of time. The work that God does is eternal. It's perfect, it's complete, it's lacking nothing. So if God works to make something beautiful in its time, you can know that that beauty will last forever. That beauty will last forever. And even though we might not comprehend it right now, we might not be able to see God working in the midst of the season that we are in, we can trust that he is working, that he is there. Because friends, that is who our God is. That's who our God is. He has not just left us in the dark. He has not left us to just wander around in these seasons of time, stumbling around, trying to find our way like lost sheep. But our God is there and near. He is is with us. He is is with us in the march of time. Our Our God is not some God who has no care or concern for the creation that he has made. Our God has great care and concern for the creation that he's made. Our God shows us great care and concern for the creation that he's made. God is the providential caretaker of his creation. God is the providential caretaker of his creation. But what is God's providence? What does that mean when we say God is the providential caretaker of his creation? Well, I feel like our our, our statement of faith, question 14, helps us to understand this. The question is this. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing of all his creatures and their actions. Friends, this is what sustains you through the march of time. God's providential Work in his creation. He has not left you alone in the march of time. He has not left you to figure it out in the march of time. He is, um, his providence sustains all of creation throughout all of time, and more importantly, it sustains you throughout all of your time on this earth. His providence sustains you through the march of time. I mean, just look at Jesus. Just look at Jesus. God could have left us to our own sin and said, be done with them. He could have cast Adam and Eve out. He could have smited them off the face of this planet. He could have said, I am done with humanity. He could have left us in our sin and darkness, but he did not. In his providence and his goodness and his grace and his care, he provided Jesus to be the payment for our sins so that we might look at eternity and look at the march of time, look at the end the, the end that we all face at the march of time and see a light shining through and not see a Hopeless, helpless, dark void. But we might see a light because of what Jesus has done for us. That we might have eternity with God, not eternity in darkness. Friends, your God provides for you. Your God is providentially working in your life. And if you're not a Christian here today, sadly you do not have this hope. Sadly, none of this hope that is laid out in this passage is for you. You might experience some of the providence of God. You might experience blessing on this time on earth. But the reality is your blessing has a time limit. Your blessing will end when the march of time ends for you. And you will stare into that dark void and face God's judgment rather than God's hope. So if that's you today, if that is you, turn to Jesus. Place your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. Rely on Jesus. He's died for you. He's sacrificed for you. His blood is a payment for your sins. So turn to him trust in him, hope in him. And you can experience joy in the midst of this march of time. You can be sustained in the midst of this march of time. And friends, we all, have a re- we all should have a response to God's providence. We all should live our lives in, re- in accordance to this reality that God provides for us. A response to God's providence should be to fear him. Should be to fear him. That's what the preacher says. God has done all these things so that men might fear him. So that men might fear him. And then we say the word fear, we always think about like a horror movie, right? We think about Jason chasing us down a hallway or something like that. Like, ah! Um, And that's kind of part of this fear that the Bible is talking about. Like, again, God created time. He has the ability to uncreate time. Like there's, there's a definitely a healthy fear that we should have. Like God could definitely, like God could unmake us and all that kind of stuff. In His grace and goodness, He does not do that, but He definitely could. So there should be a, a definitely like kind of a, a scared fear. But really, what the fear that the Bible is talking about here is respect. We should respect God for what He's done. We should give respect to God, for His power and for His goodness for his mighty works that he's done in our life and in creation the old illustration that i'm sure many, many of you probably have heard before is an illustration of being in a cage with a lion right you're on one side of the one side of the cage is you the other side of the cage is a lion and the wisdom is don't poke the lion right like don't mess with the lion don't be don't like provoke the lion like Have a healthy fear and respect that the lion could tear your face off. Like that is what the lion could do to you. So we should live in like, okay, God, we love you, but we understand and we respect your power and your authority that you have over our life, over creation. We should live in fear. We should live to fear God. And the second thing is our response to God's providence is to do good. That's what the, again, what the preacher says, that we should do good. We should do, seek to do good in the lives of those around us. We should seek to do good to our neighbors, to our children, to, to every at, in every aspect of our life. We should do good for others. You know, the classic thing that we say here that I love about discipleship is discipleship is just doing some spiritual good for somebody else. Friends, seek to do some spiritual good in the lives of your brothers and sisters in this church. Seek to do some good physically in their life. Whether that means you know, taking out the garbage, doing dishes, whatever it may be, do good for them and do good for your neighbors. And the third thing is our response to God's providence to be, should be to rejoice in our work. We've said this before already. But the reality is we should, because of God's providence, we should rejoice in the work that we have, the work that God has provided for us. We should find joy in the work that we do. We should find joy in the toil that we face every single day. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in your work because it is a gift from God. And lastly, a response to God's providence is to enjoy today. We should enjoy today. That's what the preacher ends with. Enjoy today. Don't worry about yesterday. Don't worry about tomorrow. Enjoy today. Enjoy the gift that God has given you today. Enjoy the joys and pleasures that God has given you today. Enjoy the meals and the drinks that God has given you today. Friends, enjoy the brothers and sisters that are around you today. Take joy in their presence. Take joy in the relationships that you have with them. Take joy in the fact that God has given you a church today to to worship in, to to praise him, and to be uh, filled with his word in. Take joy in the present. God will work out the past. God will work out the future. And God is working today. So take joy in today. See every day as a gift from God. And take joy in it. Friends, you can look at the endless march of time and come to two outcomes. Without God... You can have a hopeless and pessimistic view of life. You can say, what's the point? What's the point? Everything's gonna turn to dust eventually. Everything's gonna fade away into obscurity. Or you can have the Christian view and see hope in the midst of your days because the God you serve is the God that sustains you through the march of time. Friends, God's providence sustains you through the march of time. Friends, without our faith in God, we are no better than the animals. We're no better than the animals. We live, we work, we die. But with our faith in God, we are completely different. We have a completely different trajectory, and we can find hope And every single day. We can find hope in the midst of our days, in the midst of our life. We can find hope in the midst of our work, joy in the midst of our work. And friends, we can find joy and hope in death. So see every day as a gift. Rejoice in your work. Seek to do some spiritual good for others. And fear God. Because friends, the providence of God sustains you through the march of time. Let's pray. Almighty creator, sustainer, giver of all life, we praise you for the work that you've done in our life, the work that you've done in creation. The work that you've done to keep the earth spinning. The sun to be on fire. And the work that you've done to provide every single breath in our lungs. God, let us have joy in the gifts that you've given us every single day. Lord, help us to have joy in our work. Help us to do good in the life of others. Help us to enjoy today. Help us to fear you, Lord. Lord, help us to be reminded of the work that you've done in Christ for us. Lord, bring joy into our hearts for the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. Lord, help us fall on our knees and praise you for the work that you've done through Christ so that we might have salvation from our sins and so that we might find joy in the midst of the march of time that we're on. Lord, I pray all these things in your son's precious, holy, and wonderful name. Amen.